Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Daniel 1, starting in verse 8. Hope you're there. I want you to track with me. So it's my senior year in college, right? So we can get there in our minds. It was my senior year in college. It was my last semester of my senior year in college. I was uh, at Houston Baptist University, dogs up, go Huskies, the whole deal. So I, I was in my last semester of my senior year in college. I was taking a ton of classes. If I said how many hours I was taking, it would mean nothing to you because that's not how your world works. But to somebody who gets it, you'd be like, huh, why'd you do that? I was taking lots of hours, lots and lots of classes, more than the, the normal load. So I was already stressed out with that. But it, so like last semester of my senior year, I am months away from graduation, friends. Like the finish line is near. I'm taking tons of classes. At the same time, I'm engaged to be married to Jenny. So it's like, hey, Kate, don't screw this up or you don't get married. Like, you've got to finish, homie. Like, you've got to graduate because you graduate in December. The wedding's in February. You need a job, my dude, because life costs money, right? So I'm freaking out about this. I, I, so I have all these classes. I'm engaged to be married, trying to plan a wedding, which for the guy really means this. Hey, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So... All these classes, engaged to be married, I need a job. So all of this stuff is just kind of in my head and in my heart, and I'm stressed out, and it's a lot, and I'm like, there's so much on the line. Like, if I fail a class, I, I'm not going to graduate, and if I don't graduate, I don't get a job, and if I don't get a job, then I can't get married, and this will all go wrong. So I'm just stressed out already. Like, I just have tons going on in my mind in this moment. So I'm in one of my classes, and we have an exam, and we sit down to take this exam, and the class is hard already. And it's one of those moments when you turn to a part of an exam and you're just like, like you look at the question and you're like, this is not good. This is not good. This is not good for me. Just like, mm mm-hmm, yeah, you've been there. So I do the, the portions of the exam that I at least have some kind of idea what's going on. But, I, but, you know, like I've got in my mind at this point, it's like mid-semester, I've got in my mind, like I cannot fail a class because if I fail, I don't graduate. If I don't graduate, I don't get a job. If I don't get a job, I don't get married. Oh my goodness, like don't screw this up, Kane. So I do however much of the exam that I could do, stand up to go turn it into the professor's desk. Again, all this in my mind. Pass by uh, this the girl in the class. By the way, the class was me, another, another person, and the professor. Two humans in this class. We met in his office. Neat. So I, I pass by this other girl that's, that's taking the exam. She's the classmate in the class, and I look down at her exam while she's taking and see the question that I didn't have an answer to, and she had an answer. So I'm thinking what some of you are thinking. You have it. I don't have it. Maybe I'll just take it. So I do like a hard 180, back to where I was sitting, sit down, take that answer, put it down as my answer on that same question. Stand back up, go to the professor's desk, turn in the test, cheat it. Professor didn't know. Girl didn't know. And I walked out. Went to my next class. A few moments later, God in his kindness deeply convicts me. Like I'm sitting in my next class like about to vomit. I'm just like, I, I can't believe I did that. Like, oh my gosh, like what am I doing? What's the matter with me? Like I'm just getting like, oh, yeah. 
but, but I, like, I got to get a good grade. Like, all these things are all in my head. Like, I've got to get a good grade. And so I, like, you know, it's not, but, I, but like, I shouldn't do that. Like, I'm deeply convicted. But like, but what am I supposed to do here? Like, what, if, I, I don't So I talked to my friend in school about it. And he's like, bro, like, that's crazy. Like, what? I, are you serious? Like, he's freaking out about it. I'm freaking out about it. And so then I decided to communicate with my fiance, who is Jenny, about it. Like, hey, this happened. And I'm freaking out, and like I think I'm gonna, like I think I gotta tell the professor, which like you could just imagine, and you'd be like, you better keep your mouth shut because if you fail this class, you don't get a job, and then we don't get married, homie. So don't don't screw this up for me, you know? She's not that selfish, but you can just imagine like the tension. You can imagine somebody from the outside, maybe you in this moment are thinking, don't tell the professor, dude. What is the matter with you? He didn't know, she didn't know, walk out. Hey, Cade, you'll, you'd be good. Just graduate and then tell the professor. Then you're good, right? You already have your diploma. Run out the door, you're good. But I cheated. I took something that wasn't mine. The Bible calls that theft, and the Bible calls that sin. And God convicted me, and I decided I got to go tell this professor. So you can imagine what I'm thinking. I've read the syllabus before. Here's the consequence for academic dishonesty. See you later. The majority of the consequences in university life are if you cheat, you leave. So at the best, I'm going to fail this class. At the worst, I'm going to get kicked out. And I go in, and I sit down with all that in my mind. I've got to tell this guy what's happened. And I sit down and I say, on this test, on this question, I cheated. And maybe in your head you're thinking, you're a moron, Cade. Why would you tell him that? Because here's what I resolved. I had to set aside what might have been most normal in the culture or maybe what have been most popular for the sake of being obedient to God. And why do I tell you that? Because this is what it looks like to be faithful in exile. There will be moments in your life as a person in exile where you have to choose not to partake in what is most culturally normal or what might be most popular for the sake of being obedient to God instead. And this is what we'll gain from Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 8. So look at verse 8. I'll read through verse 21. Follow along with me. I want you to look at the text with me. Daniel 1, starting in verse 8 through 21. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Hazariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let your appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. 
So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them into Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So here is the idea for today. The faithfulness in exile sometimes looks like refusing to partake in what is culturally normal or most popular for the sake of being obedient to God. <clears throat> if you'll remember, we entered into the book of Daniel last week explaining that the people of God had been led into exile by the Babylonian empire because they had rebelled against God. God sent Babylon to the people of God. They took over and ransacked Jerusalem and took the people of God into exile. What did we define exile as? Exile is a place that is not home, living in a foreign land. Maybe we could even say it like this. It is the people of God being in a place that is outside of God's design. It is the people of God not partaking in what is God's best for them. This is exile. And we said that as the people of God in 2019, we are in exile. We are in a place that is not home. This is not as good as it gets. This is not God's best. That God has made us for a different kingdom that is not League City, Texas, United States of America. And so the question that we ought to ask that we left hanging a little bit from last week is, how do we live faithfully in exile? And that's exactly what we're looking at in Daniel. And so what I, what I think we're going to do over the next few weeks is just take some chunks out of the book of Daniel and say, what is a principle or some principles that we can gain from these people about how to live faithfully in exile? How do we live faithfully in exile according to how Daniel and his friends did so while they were in exile? And so this is the point. This is the one principle that we're going to run with tonight. I just said it. It is faithfulness in exile sometimes looks like refusing to partake in what is culturally normal or most popular for the sake of being obedient to God. Well, what did that look like for Daniel? Look back at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Daniel's faithfulness in exile looked like refusing the king's food. So you'll remember, they bring these people into exile. Young kids, people of nobility, people of royalty. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he actually treats them kind of good. He's like, hey, let's educate them. Let's feed them. Let's make them Babylonian. And so he gives them a portion of food and a portion of wine every day. And what Daniel resolves is that he's not going to eat the king's food. That's what it says in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Why would Daniel do that? One, 
Because to do so would be to disobey God. Because no doubt there was food that the king of Babylon was giving Daniel that was against the law of God. You see, there were laws in the Torah that Daniel was obeying that would say, you can't eat these certain things. That God has designed a way for you to eat and these certain foods you cannot eat. And so if Daniel would have taken in the king's food and just conformed to Babylon, he would have willingly disobeyed God. And so he refuses the king's food to be obedient to God instead. Because somehow Daniel knew faithfulness in exile sometimes looks like not partaking in what is culturally normal or most popular for the sake of being obedient instead. Additionally, he did not eat the king's food because not only was it against the law of God, but to do so would have just been to lose his Jewish identity. Because to partake of the king's food and to drink of the king's wine is really to say this, I am identifying with Babylon. I am one of you. It would have been confusing for the actual Babylonians to be walking around and to see a Hebrew person that they think is in exile and think, you're eating the king's food, you're drinking the king's wine, you're speaking the king's language. I thought you were supposed to be different. I thought your God was different, but you're just like me. And Daniel knew, if I eat this food and I drink this wine, it'll be against the law of God. And I'll be losing my identity as a, as a part of the people of God. And so I'm not going to do it. Why? Because he knew that faithfulness in exile sometimes looks like not partaking what is culturally normal or most popular for the sake of being obedient to God. How would this have gone with the king? What would this have communicated with the king? Well, just imagine, right? Imagine that you're the king, and in a nice act, you decide to extend nice food and wine to these people who don't actually belong to your land, and they're like, no. It's at least an insult. It's at the least an insult to the king. It's at worst... Rebellion against the throne. And this is where Daniel is. Refusing to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine. But how did he do it? Look back at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He asked the person that was in charge, if he would allow him to not. He didn't go in. He goes, get this garbage out of here. Yahweh's not pleased with this. Get it out of here. It's disgusting. You're disgusting. I hate this. That's not what he did. He went to the person in charge and respectfully said, would it be okay if I didn't eat this? Here's why. It would be disobedient to my God. And I would lose my identity as a Hebrew. So would it be okay? Because Daniel knew that faithfulness in exile sometimes looks like not partaking in what is culturally normal or most popular for the sake of being obedient to God. But what does that look like for us today? 
What does faithfulness in exile look like for a 2019 League City teenager? What does it look like to not eat the king's food today? Well, one is this. That to be faithful in exile looks like calling sin what God calls sin. Not saying, I think our culture's progressed past that by this point, right? Like it's 2019, I think we've outgrown that. Like certainly, it's just, like that's just normal now. Everybody does it, Cade. Get with the times, that was then, this is now. No, no. Faithfulness in exile calls sin what God calls sin and won't move from it. Because you know that sometimes faithfulness in exile looks like you not partaking in what is culturally normal or most popular in order to be obedient to God. What else does it look like? It looks like not normalizing, pushing the boundaries physically with the opposite sex. It looks like not normalizing sex before marriage. It looks like not normalizing communicating sexually in text message or on Snapchat. Yeah, but that's just how teenagers communicate now. That's how we express ourselves. Kate, everybody around me pushes the boundaries physically. Everybody steps into this arena with their girlfriend or their boyfriend. It's just normal. Everybody sends pictures, Cade. Everybody does this on Snapchat, Cade. It's just normal. But you know, faithfulness in exile looks like not partaking in what is culturally normal or most popular for the sake of being obedient to God instead. Because you're in exile. What else? It looks like having crazy high standards to date somebody in high school or not dating at all. It looks like setting the bar up here and refusing to move it just so you can have somebody. It looks like setting the bar up here and not buying the lie. Man, isn't it nice to have a boyfriend? Isn't it nice to have a girlfriend? Don't I feel like I matter? But faithfulness in exile looks like putting the bar here and leaving the bar here and saying sometimes faithfulness looks like not partaking in what's culturally normal or most popular for the sake of being obedient to God. Am I saying that you can't date in high school? I'm not saying that. Talk to your parents about it. That's the whole issue. I'm saying set the bar high and don't lower it for anybody that will just show up and give you attention. It's not worth it. But Kate, it's so good. It just feels right. It's so normal. But faithfulness in exile looks like setting that aside for the sake of obedience to God instead. What else? It means not watching certain shows that are really popular or watching certain movies or listening to certain music because you understand what I take in will eventually come out of me. You can, you can lie to yourself all day long that this doesn't affect me. This Watching this, listening to this, it doesn't matter. I listen to it for the beat. Whatever. 
Because eventually what you take in will come out. But you do it because you know. Faithfulness in exile looks like not partaking in what's culturally normal or most popular for the sake of being obedient to God instead. But Cade, people will think I'm weird. People will say, like, you haven't seen this? You haven't, you haven't listened to this? What is the matter with you? What do you think it was for Daniel? I bet people were like, just eat the food, Daniel. Shut your mouth and eat the food. But he was faithful anyway. Because he knew this is what faithfulness in exile looks like. It looks like setting things aside for the sake of obedience to God instead. So, so what is it for you? I gave you a, a list of about four things. I don't know what it might be for you, but there are things that you face that you need to not be willing to conform to or step into for the sake of being obedient to God instead. And it will be weird and it might cost you, but obedience to God has always been better than conforming to the people around you. So then what will it require of us to live this way? Well, what did it require of Daniel? Look back at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He resolved not to defile himself because it was against the law of God. So what did it require of Daniel in order to be faithful in that moment? He had to know the law of God in order to not disobey the law of God. So what will it require of you to be faithful? You need to know God's ways in order to obey God's ways. Well, Cade, what are God's ways? You hold it in your hand. It sits on your shelf. It's in your room. I don't know where you have stored it, but you have it. It's called your Bible. If you want to know what God desires for you, he has revealed it to you. Open the Bible. We're not begging you to read this thing because we get, like, we get bonuses from Jesus when more people read their Bibles. That's not what's happening here. We want you to know God's ways. Because when we know God's ways, we can obey God's ways. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? Question. Answer, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against you. I have known your ways, God, so that I would obey your ways. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my, fat, to my path. Your word is the thing that shows me the way to go. I need to know God's ways in order to obey God's ways because that's what it looks like to be faithful in exile. And maybe your pushback is this. Cade, you see, man, all this sounds like is that to live in exile and to be faithful is that God is just telling us to give up a bunch of stuff. Hey, don't do this. And all, all you're making Christianity sound like, Cade, is God says, hey, come to Jesus and never have fun again. 
Don't do, don't do, don't do, do this. And if that's what you would hear, you would buy a lie. Because I don't just want you to know God's ways to obey God's ways. I want you to know God's ways and trust God's ways are best and then obey God's ways out of that trust. So the second thing that's required of you in order to live faithfully in exile is that you trust God's ways are best. Not that you just know them, but you trust that they are best. Psalm 16, verse 11. This is what the psalmist says. God, you make known to me the path of life. You show me how to live, God. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That this is what the psalmist says. That if you want to know what real joy is like, if you want to know what real pleasure is like, if you want to know where fullness of life is found, come to God that real life is over here. So don't just know God's ways and say, man, God tells you to give up stuff and do stuff. No, no. God is inviting you into life. Psalm, t- uh, sorry, John ch- 10, chapter 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That the reason Jesus came is to give you full life. So many of you think that Jesus showed up to die to save you from, from hell and then get you to follow a bunch of rules until you die. And if that's the Christianity you've bought, you have not bought Christianity at all. You've missed it. Because what Jesus showed up to do was to pay the debt for this, the sin that you committed. And get up from the dead as the victorious king and say, this way to life. Come with me this way to life. And everything that God would say, don't do, is not him saying, can't have fun, can't have fun, can't have fun. It's him saying, no, 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 that's going to rob you. I'm going to give it to you. Come over here. I mean, just think about this. Just the other day, I'm in the driveway. My two-year-old takes off to the street. You want to know what I did? I yelled at him to stop him from going into the street. And he did not turn around and he did not say, Father, you're a fun sucker. And nobody on the planet is going to look at me as a father and go, just let him have fun, bro. He's two. Let him do it. They're going to look at me and they're going to say, you're a good dad. You love your kid. You're saving his life. And all of us would do well to remember that when we want to pursue these things that are sinful and evil, it would be God's kindness to say, no! This way to life! Don't go there! Come over here! Because that's what good dads do. So it's not just enough for you to say, yeah, I know God's ways. I know the rules. But not just know the rules, but to trust that God's ways are actually best, that God is saying, this way to life, this way to fullness of joy.
Come over here. Come over here. The last thing that it will require of us. Faithfulness and exile will require us to trust in God's faithfulness to us as we live in obedience. <coughs> Look it down at verse 9. So Daniel asked the guy, verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. This is what he says. Yo, man, you want me to do this for you and just give you vegetables and water, but you're going to have to present yourself to the king and you know he's going to get in trouble? Me, I don't want to do this, bro. Verse 11, then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let your appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested him for ten days. Daniel had to, had to, had to trust I don't have a clue how this is going to work. What if we do this? What if we eat vegetables and drink water and we come and we look frail and this cat loses his head? Daniel didn't know how it was going to work out. Here's the mistake that we make when we read passages in the scriptures like this. Well, I would have been faithful too if I would have gotten elevated and promoted. But Daniel didn't know that. Daniel had no idea. What he knew was, I have to be obedient to God. I'm going to set this aside for the sake of being obedient to God. And I don't know what it will cost me, but I'm going to do it. And so he had to trust God's faithfulness. Because here's the deal. When we see that God is unshakably faithful, it is far more, we will be far more likely to be unshakably faithful in exile. Our willingness, our willingness to live faithfully, to be obedient, to go for it, to do it no matter what it costs, will have little to do with our strength, will have little to do with whether or not it works out, and everything to do with the fact that God is unshakably faithful. But Kate, it will cost me. It will cost you. And God is faithful to you. But Cade, what if it doesn't work out? Like this guy, it worked out for him, right? Like it, we read it, it worked out for him. And then he got promoted. And then he got like an ability to interpret dreams and visions. And he got positioned. And Cade, what if it doesn't work out? What if it doesn't? Cade, what if I'm faithful and I lose friends? What if I'm faithful and she break up, breaks up with me? What if I'm faithful and I get, I get made fun of? What if I'm faithful and it just blows up in my face? Your willingness to be faithful should not be based on the circumstance that you're in, but the faithfulness of God to you in the circumstance that you're in. Because God doesn't change, and your circumstances do. Acts chapter 7, they, they capture this dude. His name is Stephen. They're so sick of him sharing the gospel with people. So you know what they do? They stone him to death. And if you were thinking, that's just like, yeah, let's throw these pebbles at this guy until he dies. It's not that kind. And no doubt, Stephen was saying, I'm going to trust God's faithfulness. I'm not going to conform. I'm not going to stop because I want to be obedient to God. 
and he lost his life. Was God faithful? Sure he was. For two reasons. One, Stephen looks up just before he dies. Guess what he sees? Heaven opened up and Jesus standing. Jesus is supposed to be seated at the right hand of the Father and Jesus is standing. Almost as if to stand up and say, oh, I got to see this. You're my boy. I'm with you. Second reason we know that God was faithful is because we're still telling that story 2,000 years later. So even in death, no matter the cost, God is faithful to you. So we can be unshakably faithful because God is always unshakably faithful to us.